Last week we begun a new phase in the Gospel of Mark concerning Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 1, uh, up until verse 13, uh, Mark, he concentrated on uh, the preparation of Jesus for his ministry. Remember that? In one sense, it not only prepared Jesus, but it, it, it prepared the readers for the work that God would do on the earth through our Savior. Was the preparation by the prophet John the baptizer uh, who announced the coming of the Messiah as he encouraged others. Remember to do what? He encouraged them to repent and to be baptized. Even Jesus was baptized by John even though uh, there was no reason for him to repent of sin because Jesus Christ is sinless. And then we saw Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil who wanted to bring him down and completely destroy him. Yet we know that our Lord went through it victoriously. And then last week, in the Gospel of Mark, we saw uh, Jesus utter his first words in this book, right? Uh, look again here in, in Mark chapter 1, the Gospel of Mark. And as we quickly uh, peruse the verses and we go through, and especially if you, if you have a Bible that's uh, uh, it's in red, the words of Jesus are in red, you will discover there is no red until when. Verse when? Try it again. Try it again. Verse fifth, 15. Yeah, you got it. You had it the first time. Verse 15. Jesus, however, when he came into his own, uh, he did speak the words of repentance. But one thing that was different initially about Jesus, uh, that as he came onto the scene uh, to proclaim uh, God's kingdom through himself, remember uh, that he walked on the scene and, and said the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says that I am it. So, uh, so Jesus did not come baptizing with water. He did not come to immerse people in water. Uh, that Jesus came to do what? To baptize with what? With fire. John baptized with water, but Jesus baptized with fire. So begins Jesus' ministry. But yet even to verse 15, even though we hear the utterance of our Savior, we never see him ministering to anyone yet. Verse 15 only mentions the content of his message. We assume that people were present. In our message today, Jesus, his interaction with people, specifically with his ministry, it begins today in our passage today as people decide whether or not to make Jesus uh, a priority in their lives. Jesus, he shows up on the scene and makes a demand on people's spiritual commitment, time, and priorities. Today, Jesus 
will also make a demand on us. Jesus will make a demand on our spiritual commitment. He will make a demand on, on your time. That Jesus will, uh, he will make a demand on your priorities. What is really number one in your life, Jesus wants to know. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Three things I want you to remember as we track through this. It will be really easy for you. And here they are. Jesus saw. Jesus called. They followed. Simple as that. Jesus saw, Jesus called, they follow. Jesus saw. Two verses, Mark chapter 1 verse 16 and also Mark chapter 1 verse 19. Passing along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, right? Where else would someone be casting a net into the sea? Verse 19, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. You see, the Lord sees you exactly where you are. God sees you where you are. Here we find out that Jesus, he passes along the sea of, of Galilee. In other words, Jesus is just taking a walk. And for all practical purposes, at the beginning of his ministry, that Jesus takes this walk alone. But one thing that we have to understand about God is that when God takes a walk, when, when God walks, walks to and fro on the earth, uh, it's not just simply doing something because there's nothing else to do. Each walk, each encounter, as random as it may seem to us, that they all are a plan in the hand of God. Masculine system and shape. Nor was it a plan of Jesus to slim down before Thanksgiving. Jesus' walk alongside the Sea of Galilee, it was a plan to engage the human race on a level it needed, but yet it did not know it needed. So Jesus here in verse 16, verse 19, he enters into the context of people who were working and living near the Sea of Galilee. Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, trying to catch fish. Our text tells us plainly, you know, we get it, they're at the sea, right? And they're casting a net at the sea. Uh, was it really necessary for us to know that they were trying to catch fish? Why was that little bit even necessary? Well, it has to do with what God was trying to show us. <laughs> so what uh, Jesus shows us here, he shows us that uh, 
what people do may be a pretext for entering into conversation with them. What people do may be a pretext for entering into a spiritual conversation with them. How do you work that out? Well, while this message is not about the Lord seeing you where you are and taking you to higher places, right? I can see it now. Uh, Jesus wants to take you uh, to a higher place. Uh, can I get an amen? He wants to take you where you are and take you higher. I can hear uh, Jesus say, higher, higher, higher. I want to take you higher. No, that's not what I believe what this passage is really about. Here we read that Jesus observes and targets two brothers who were throwing their nets in the sea to catch fish. In fact, God even used, remember, the experience of Moses. Eventually, you remember Moses after he left Egypt, that he was a shepherd. And as Moses, as a shepherd, that God used his shepherding in order to do what? To shepherd or to lead God's people where? Out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and to the promised land. So, so, so God used the mind, the experience of Moses to lead the Hebrews. In fact, God even used David's skill. Yeah, we know he was a shepherd, but, but, but God used the skills that David, King David, had, had hoing there as a shepherd in order to kill the bear. He uses skills as a slingshot in order to kill all the animals to protect God's sheep. Uh, so David now uh, facing this big monstrosity uh, of a shack times two a person. And how was he going to destroy this guy? And, and David said, you know what? I took down bears and lions. God moved in the heart of David, he, he moved in the heart of David in, in, in order to use his skills in order to bring honor to God's people. Now, Jesus targets men, for the most part, they're rather ordinary. They're rather regular kind of folks. You know what I mean? I can see Jesus today you know, uh, walking down here on Cicero and 95th Street, right? And he sees a 7-Eleven, he, he right? And there's a guy who went into the 7-Eleven to get gas, and while they were there, they decided they wanted to get a Slurpee, right? So I can see this guy at the Slurpee machine filling his cup up. Well, first he fills it up, and then he takes a big sip first, right? And takes it down about halfway, and then he fills it up again. He's really, really happy. I can see Jesus today walking into uh, 7-Eleven and, and saying that, uh, here you are, here you are, uh, drinking Slurpees, but I'm telling you, I'm going to show you how to fill up men. You know how to fill that cup up, I'm going to show you how to fill up men. Telling the guy behind the counter or the lady behind the counter, uh, you know you're really good at customer service, I'm going to show you how to serve people and bring them unto me. God knows 
how to use you where you are. Oh, God never sent David to seminary, did he? God never sent Moses to seminary, did he? God never sent Andrew or, or, or Peter to seminary. Their seminary was life. God calls, your seminary is life. So you don't have to impress God. You don't have to impress God because when you try to impress God, when you try to be something that you are really not, then in essence, it's going to take a longer time to get you where you're going. Right? When you try to be what you're not, God first has to strip away all that stuff that you're trying to be first. And then once he can finally get past all the veneer, he says, now I'm dealing with the real you. And now that I'm dealing with the real you, now I can probably use you. God is not impressed when we try to be more than what we are. So get over yourself. Amen? Amen. Let God use all that you are. Let him use your fear. Let him use your stutter. Let him use whatever your strength, your lack of strength. Let him use your meekness. God wants to use you. God sees you where you are. These first disciples were fishers. But what would it be like to be a fisher? Catch fish, fish for a living. Well, number one thing about it, they had to be strong men, amen? There's no way that you can carry nets back and forth from your home and to the sea and back and clean them and repair them. Uh, number one, uh, you, you had to be strong. So they had to have, in my mind, some type of buffed uh, uh, physical appearance. And you also know that if you've ever caught fish before, and this, is, and this is my problem with fishing, and I admit this now, and I've admitted before, that number one, that one thing that you need to have if, you, if you're trying to catch fish is what? Who knows who's a fisherman or a fisherwoman? What? What is that? Patience. You've got to have patience to catch fish. You know, it is not a game for those who want results right in here and right now. But uh, fishermen were also rugged and they were raw. You've heard uh, of people who had a sailor's mouth. I heard someone who curses like a sailor. In fact, uh, some of you <laughs> may or may not know, but in scripture, uh, sometimes uh, even Peter uses language that is uh, uh, not so upright. And when Peter uses that language in scripture that is not necessarily upright, it is because he has not been totally transformed in the complete way that he's thinking, specifically in the Gospels, uh, how he's thinking about things. And, uh, but you can see uh, uh, the, the, the fisherman in him coming out. That's what it's about. They were not scholars and may not have even known their Bibles very well. But later in Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus targeted more than fishermen, right? Jesus wasn't just taking a walk along the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 2, verse 14 says, And as he, and he, of course, is Jesus, passed by, 
he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Here Jesus targets a tax collector for his purposes. While fishermen would understand in terms of a fish, a tax collector would learn in terms of knowing uh, that when somebody owes something, that they owe one and they better pay up. Matthew would be that person who was targeted next by Jesus in this gospel. So uh, that was the, uh, the Jesus saw. He saw the people he would target to engage in conversation with next. Jesus, he called or Jesus said, verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Uh, Jesus was saying, the thing that you know how to do, that I'm going to use conceptually that very same thing in order to fish and to catch people. If Jesus is to spread the message of his kingdom, he would use people to make it happen. This is one of those crucial things that we must not miss. You see, in God's sovereign plan, he used battered, and he uses battered and broken people to forward his agenda of reconciling the world back to himself. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you use jacked up people why would you use jacked up people to do perfect things? This is quite different from the way that most of us see and understand things. You know, if something needed to get fixed in your home, who would you send? Who would you call? If you cook chicken, and after 15 minutes you see that that chicken uh, still had pink in it, you would fix it yourself, wouldn't you? I hope you would. And if you wouldn't, I want you to see Sister Angie because we're going to know, make sure don't have you cook any meat in the house of the Lord. You know what to do and most people don't need to call the chicken hotline. Oh, oh my God, my chicken is still bleeding. What do I do? What must I do? You know you need to stick that thing back in the oven. Or... Throw it in the garbage and go to Popeye's. If your tire is low on air, you wouldn't say, let me take my automobile to the auto mechanic to have uh, my tire fixed. You would say, oh, let me go and, 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 and put air in it myself first. Because we know that even over time, that tires can lose air uh, as the weather changes. But if you needed a concrete porch replaced, you would search for a professional because you would hope they would get it right. Or if you needed a timing belt replaced in your car, you wouldn't go to that person who you saw hanging out on the corner and say, hey, I do work on cars and I do it cheap. I'm praying for you, Sister Gabrielle. Oh, Lord, pray for that, brother. But somehow in God's wisdom, he has assigned the work of announcing the message of his kingdom uh, through people who are inexperienced, that he uses rookies, that God uses amateurs and, 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 and people who have no knowledge in spiritual matters. 
Why would you give this great responsibility to people who don't know nothing? And I know, uh, I consider sometimes, you know, uh, jobs that I've had in the past that I know that I was not qualified to do. And someone just wanted to give me a chance. But you know, Jesus, people's souls, that's a different story. Why are you going to trust that information, that responsibility to me? Of course, part of this has to do with the covenant which God gave to mankind, uh, the right to rule on the earth as co-regents. Please, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God had given mankind dominion on the earth to rule as his co-regents. Get it? So this is why that, that, that God does not necessarily come in and intervene when things happen on the earth. It runs contrary to his directives and his command to give mankind dominion on the earth. Because wouldn't it make sense? God, all this mess is going on. We need for you to come down right now and fix it. Haven't you prayed that prayer before? Jesus, come and just, you know, uh, those folks who are asking me, come and knock them out. Right? Jesus, give them a right punch and, and a kick and an elbow. Do something to them, Jesus. Put them six feet under. Jesus, would you do that? God, he, uh, in his infinite wisdom, he does not intervene personally so to speak, I'm going to qualify that in one moment, on the earth. But then you may ask the question, but then what about these miracles? And what about God's wrath? But notice that in those instances, he often did it through a human intermediary. Oftentimes he used people. Remember that when, when, when Moses... Uh, uh, was at the Red Sea and he had Pharaoh behind him, right? And, and then he had the sea before him. Uh, why didn't God simply say, okay, open up sea? Right? Well, he said God did kind of say that, but he used Moses because Moses had to do what? He, he, had to, he had to lift up his hand or, or dip his spirit. He had to do something. So God used, he ministered through Moses. Remember even uh, the coming uh, judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, in, in this case, Abraham, God used Abraham uh, not to bring down that wrath, but in order to get the people out. God used David to slay Goliath, the enemy of Israel. And remember, he used Elijah to send fire from heaven to destroy Ahab's soldiers. Uh, Elijah told him, uh, if I am Elijah the prophet, may fire come down from heaven and consume you. It happened several times. You see, in the vast majority of these biblical uh, references, God in some way used a person to bring about a judgment or to warn of a judgment to come. 
So with the ministry of Jesus, God uses peoples called disciples to accomplish his will. You get that? So, so, so now, uh, if you are a follower, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, God is now or wants to use you on this earth to accomplish his will. And, this, and a disciple needs to become like the one whom they are learning from. Once a disciple has finished the learning process, it is expected that they will carry on their teacher's message. In this case, it was the message of God's kingdom in all of its expansive glory. So uh, these people who Jesus called uh, will be charged with a task that's much greater than themselves. Amen? Have you ever had to do something that you knew that you couldn't do? Something that was greater and larger than you? You know, a lot of times, one of the, one of the biggest problems that people have, one of the reasons that I, I believe that uh, people have a, a hard time breaking through, because sometimes they're just so afraid that they can't do it, and instead of going out there and failing in the first place, they just decide, I'm not going to do anything in the first place. I'm so afraid. I, I, I have to admit to you, I remember that when I was taking uh, communications in college, and uh, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I remember taking communications when I was in uh, high school, as a matter of fact. Had a little segment on that. And man, I was, I was the absolute scariest thing. And every time it was time for me to talk, uh, probably more times than not, uh, I was ready to go. But I gave the instructor a reason to delay me going forward. Every time. In high school and in college. Every time. I said, no, I, 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 I'm not feeling, or I wouldn't show up, because I, I was just too afraid. And the only reason I ended up doing it in college, because I knew my teacher told me, if you don't do it, I'm going to give you an F. I said, well, you can't do that. And she, she told me, Mrs. Rogers, she told me, watch me. So you can be amazed how God can use you if you let him. Will you be a conduit? conduit of God's mercy and his grace on this earth. So Jesus called these men to follow him. The language that Mark uses to describe Jesus' call uh, to these first disciples is that of urgency. Jesus uh, told them to follow him, uh, but again, it was an urgent message. Jesus urged them to stop what they were doing and follow him. In fact, the passage says, as we uh, read on, uh, verse uh, 17 here in Mark 1, and Jesus said to them, follow me. It's very interesting that uh, Mark, he doesn't use your traditional a Greek word here for follow me, but he uses these adverbs. He says, uh, in essence, he says, come. In this case, come is not really a verb. It is more of an urgent. It's almost like, hey, over this way. That's what it's like. It's like Jesus said, hey. Uh, oh, and he didn't even say, hey, you. Uh, in, in, in one sense, he didn't. But it's like he says, hey, over this way, over this way. People respond to the call, however, to follow Jesus in different ways. 
Some followed Jesus for what he could do for them. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out loud, uh, Have mercy on us, son of David. And so these blind men, why were they calling on uh, Jesus, the son of David? Because they wanted to be healed. They wanted their situation to be changed. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 2. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So large groups of people were following Jesus, not necessarily for his message, but for what he could do for him, for them. This is a common occurrence, even today. People are involved in, 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 in some aspect of Christian faith, not for the redemption found in Christ, but for the benefits they can receive. Some are looking for a magical formula to get money. Oh, uh, if you say money cometh to me, then you're going to have your money uh, before you even know it. So if you want money to cometh to you, you first have to sow a seed of, what year is this, uh, uh, 2015. Uh, you sow a seed of $2,015, and then you utter those words, money cometh. Uh, I'd be like, well, brother, the only one that money cometh to is you and not to me. Others might be looking for a man or a woman when they come to church. Well, okay. If you want to get a good upstanding uh, Christian citizen of the United States of these here Americas, then maybe church is the best place. Because I tell you what, I'd rather, you know, well, okay, yeah, you, you get it. You understand. Uh, I'd rather find a woman in church than a woman in the club. So, I heard you. I heard you. Someone just said, well, where are all the men at up in here? I tell you, keep on praying. Amen. Amen. The bottom line is, once these folks get what they're looking for, and even when they can't get it, uh, they quickly cast Jesus off. Call it ineffective. They think Jesus uh, is not all uh, that he's cracked up to be. They reject him and his teaching as not being what they thought it was in favor of the flavor of the day, which may offer false promises. Following Jesus is not a temporary action which lasts for a few months or even a few years. The intent of Jesus in calling people to follow him is for it to be a lifelong journey. The fact remains that following Jesus doesn't end once we decide to trust him. You see, trusting in Jesus, it is an active, ongoing event which improves over time as we mature in our faith. So your relationship with Jesus should get better with time. And by the way, if you're wondering, a spiritual maturity has nothing to do with time versus relationship. So in other words, what I'm saying is, I know some folks who have been Christian, here it is, all of my life, and who are some of the biggest fools I've ever seen. Uh, I heard you there. Uh, but, but I also know some folks who early on, they begin to mature, and some of these folks look like they have been uh, in the Christian faith for 10 years after a few years. See, trusting in Jesus, it is an active and ongoing event, and it does improve with time. 
Every day we must make a choice to follow Jesus. But then there's also these other hindrances in following our Lord. There could be a person who possesses lots of wealth or material things who is not willing to let go because it is of more value than Jesus himself. Here it is. Mark chapter 10 verses 22, 20, 21, 22. Mark chapter 10 verses uh, 21, 22. And Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In other words, Jesus, I don't want you more than the stuff that I have. On the other hand, there are others who insist there are more important things they need to tend to at this moment before they can dedicate the time or the priority in following Jesus. Come on, Luke chapter 9, verses 61, 62. Luke 9, verses 61, 62. Yet another said, I will follow you. Yes, Jesus, I'm after you. I'm all in, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Let me spend about a year saying goodbye to mom and to dad and making sure everything is straight. 62, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So if you got your hand and you are moving forward with the kingdom of God and you're constantly looking back, more than likely you are not going to hit your target in the end. You will hit some target, but it will not be Jesus. So, Jesus saw, Jesus called, or Jesus said, and now they followed. Mark 1, verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And again, and going on a little further, he saw, this is verse uh, 19, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So they said, uh, uh, Daddy, okay, uh, we out of here. Dad, we got the jet. How many of you kids, what do you think would happen to some of you kids you told your, your parents that? Right, wait, right in the middle when you were doing work for them. So I hear some of you say, okay, that's really good. I'm going to use that when I get home. Right, right when I'm, right, Sydney, right, right when I'm washing dishes, right when I'm washing dishes, I'm going to say, oh, the Lord has need of me now, dear father, dear mother. So right now, I can't quite tend to it, and surely you would not want to hinder the work of our Lord and Savior. Then I can hear them now, oh, go, my daughter. Oh, go and do the work of the Lord. As lightning comes down from heaven and strikes her dead. So after hearing this grand call from Jesus, they followed him. This is one of those events in one's life which is a defining moment. It is a turning point which you must decide to go for it or to shrink back in fear or disbelief. Have you ever had one of these moments before in your life? Either I will 
pull the trigger now. Either I will make a decision now or I'm just going to wait and see how everything pans out. It is that time in which you know it will change the trajectory of your life. Yet as soon as you begin to step out, doubt knocks on the door. Are you sure you want to follow this Jesus right now? You know you're going to be one of those holy rollers. You know you'll be rolling on the floor and you'll be jumping all up and down in the church. And you know you've seen those folks before and you don't want to be nothing like that. So it's best not even to go in the church in the first place. We have heard earlier about excuses. We can bring to the table in order not to follow Jesus. In the previous section, we saw how some people who wanted to follow Jesus and were called to follow him had other issues holding them up. There are circumstances in life. This is a fact. These circumstances will choke out the word from your life. It will choke out God's word and prevent you from bearing fruit. These men who heard the call of Jesus would literally drop everything that they were doing and go and follow Christ even though they did not have a full understanding of who he was. That understanding would develop over time, but they needed to take what they had and to run the little bit that they knew, this man that they didn't know, but yet this man that they did know, they were confused, but he said, follow me. He says, come after me, and I will say, okay. Listen to what Peter said in Matthew 19, 27. Matthew 19, 27. Uh, Peter says, see, a better way of almost translating that would be, look. In other words, he's talking to Jesus, right? He's, uh, Peter is talking to Jesus, and it's like, you know, when you're having a casual conversation, and you kind of start off, look, look here, right? Haven't you heard someone say that regularly? Look here, right? You want them to turn around and pay attention to you. You say, see, but, but here, it, it's more emphatic than just see. It's like, look, Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Do you hear his desperation? Do you hear Peter's unease about being with this Jesus? By using the word see at the beginning of this response, Peter wanted Jesus to seriously to listen to his concern. Listen to me. And this is also a concern for us as well. You know, it's, it's, it, sometimes it's not easy following Jesus. Does anybody in here know this other than me? Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you have to let go of things that you thought that you loved in order to follow Jesus. And sometimes to do that, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts terribly. It crazy hurts. If we decide to truly follow Jesus, what then would we have? Remember, sometimes we ask the wrong questions because our thinking is a bit short-sighted. We often think too short-term concerning matters of the spiritual. Uh, by the way, every moment of your life is spiritual. 
Your, your spirituality is not just here on Sundays and on Wednesdays. When you wake up on Monday, when you have that confrontation with your coworker or your boss or with the person on the train or on the bus or on the street or in the store uh, picking out things or having to hold back, that is all-encompassing of your spiritual life. Our thoughts always default to the here and now. While we may think our concerns have taken into full account the rest of our lives, they do not take into account the rest of our eternity. Think, think that way, right? Uh, think of your eternity plan, right? Some people have their, their one-year plan, their 10-year plan, their 20-year plan. What is your eternity plan? Is this your concern about following Jesus? Is this the reason why you refuse to go all in? Take comfort in the words of Jesus, who responds to all followers, even though Peter asked the question. Matthew 19, verses 28-29. Here it is. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What do you want? What do you want? I mean, really. Do you want, like, not to invest in your eternity now by regularly making deposits every single moment of your existence? Or do you want to get it all now while you think you can see it? Jesus says what you got now pales in comparison to what he's going to give you. So Jesus, he saw. Jesus called, and they followed. Make him a priority in your life. And choose today. Follow him. Let's pray.